The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Welcome. Welcome to the Visual Workplace, where I'm your host on our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of workplace visuality, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the physical landscape of work through visual devices. Why? So we can reap the huge benefits of doing so. Huge benefits, culturally speaking, in alignment and spirited engagement. Also, in terms of bottom line benefit, increased Profit margins, better safety, excellent quality. We're on the road to operational excellence, and visuality is our partner. Okay? I've spoken of visuality as one wing of a bird. But the bird has two wings, so there's something else. That's usually some form of lean. Might be Six Sigma. That's your choice. But visuality will beat its wing in alignment and in time. So this week, we'll continue our look at the four power levels of visual devices. That is, we're looking at the way that visual devices function, how they operate. And here we're going to be getting into the more technical aspects of visual function. Last week we did visual indicators and visual signals. This week we'll be doing visual controls and also visual guarantees or Pokeyoke devices. And before we do, I just have a couple of reminders. Here's a reminder about June the 12th and 13th when we're doing a visual thinking seminar in San Antonio, Texas. And we're combining that with a visual plant tour and assessment of Global 2 Manufacturing. That's a company owned and run by the great Doug Carlberg. And uh, it's under the auspices of AME. You can find out more at ame.org. It's a two-day event, and uh, we probably won't do another one until September or October. I'm starting a new book on visual leadership, and I just need to kind of uh, get quiet and uh, find the book. So you can visit our website, visualworkplace.com, for details and take a look at our products and our services. Also, I want to say that last week I misspoke when I said uh, during our last show uh, when I said that the four power levels is also available as an on-demand webinar session. It's not. We do have a great session on the four power levels, but it's part of a package 
for training large groups or training groups. We call them our big screen webinars, and they're not on demand. You organize them by arrangement as a package, and they pretty much map to the 11 chapters of my book of the same name, Work That Makes Sense. They're big screen, but big companies and small use them, and usually what they have in mind is a visual conversion through doorway number one on the value-add level. It's a great package, and you can certainly get it, but just not on demand directly from our website. It's a package. And talking about uh, conversions, I'm going to have a few things to say about that in a few moments as we get more into the, um, into the meat of the show. Okay. Also, uh, I want to say that if you do want uh, more about the um, four power levels, a good place to start is my book, Work That Makes Sense. There's an entire chapter on this, and I think that uh, you'll find that to be a good parallel to what we're discussing here on um, Visual Workplace Radio. We're also organizing, <laughs> we're in the process of organizing, organizing distributors for you in Europe and China and Australia. Boy, this takes a bit of time and it takes a lot of fortitude, but we're getting a little bit closer. So I know some of you can't get to my books or they're just very cumbersome to acquire. We're trying to get that sorted out. I've got, you know, seven books. Work That Makes Sense is the last one. It's a really good one, too. It's got 500 pictures in it, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, let's get on to the four power levels. In the e-card that introduced the four power levels, if you got it, and if you didn't get it, send us your email and we'll send you our announcements weekly. We just kind of have a short description of what the show is going to be about. And in the e-card, it says, it's not the number of visual devices that transforms a company into a highly functioning visual work environment. It's the power of those devices. That's what separates watered-down copycat. Watered-down copycat is what I mean to say, the kind of cookie-cutter devices that we often see. They all look the same from plant to plant to plant, and they just kind of sit there gathering dust. That's what separates them from highly effective visual solutions and what separates cosmetic visuality from authentic visual functionality where the operating system is embedded. Whether you're a hospital, a bank, factory, open pit mine, you've heard me say that many, many times. It doesn't matter the workplace. Visuality is there to capture your current level of excellence, to establish that as a platform so you can build upon it to your next level. It creates stability, but it also creates a platform for creativity. We've learned that about standards. If, when the, if we get a standard in place, it in itself becomes the baseline and allows us to go further. We establish a certain structure, which is absolutely indispensable to your progress. You're structuring in information, protocol, step-by-step procedures. You're structuring them in through what we call this kind of uh, standardization. I call it visuality. I'm not talking... I won't go there. Never mind. You've heard me. You've heard me stay, stand on my soapbox about uh, standardizing visual devices too soon. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to putting structure in place so that we have a platform. Okay. So the power of visual devices is what separates cookie cutter devices from effective solutions and cosmetic change from authentic 
um, transformation. The key is to know that you can make your devices increasingly more effective, more powerful, by applying the steps of visual power, the, the discussion that we're having in the last show and in this one. The key is to know that you can make your devices more powerful because you know about, you know about the stepwise. You know, first step, visual indicators, visual signals, and then visual controls, and then pokey yokes of visual guarantees. Understanding this means you are in a position to turn an ineffective visual device into a performance driver, a device that ensures the outcomes that you require, that your operations require, that your customers require, internal and external, speed, flow, accuracy, safety, perfect quality, timeliness. You see, most of us, not all of us, but let's say a lot of people, tend to blame the human for not responding to our requirement for excellence. Even if it's a visual device, if it's a visual device and people don't respond, we think they're lazy, they don't care, they're being obstructive, they're not smart. We allege things to them. We blame the human. The mechanism we put into place is supposed to get us to do the right thing, do it. Follow it. That's kind of our, our attitude towards visual devices. But that expectation is pretty much comparable to expecting an adult or a child to clean up after themselves just because you taped a note up on the wall that says, clean up after yourself. You might even add, I'm not your mother. I'm not your mother. Clean up after yourself. I'm not your mother. <laughs> but maybe you are their mother or father or wife or priest or drill sergeant. <laughs> you can demand people to obey you, but there's no using vi visuality to create improved performance. You can demand people to obey you hmm? through your will. And the more you use your will, your demand, the less the other person will, will use their own will to create to ignite a creative response that could really solve the problem and, and, and get repeatability. It's very tricky. So you need to shift the paradigm. And I'm saying to you that what you're learning about the four power levels on the surface appears to be talking about the technical function of a device and how to make it more effective. But underneath it, what we're really doing is teaching the lesson of power. We are teaching that we are powerful. And if we are powerful, you are powerful. And that visuality is a language that we own and that we are learning to speak. We're visual thinkers in the making. So if you decide to generate a visual workplace in order to increase adherence, conformance, excellent practice, visual will provide you that way. We've been talking about this practically every week since this show began about six months ago. Week after week, week after week. I think we're in week 31 or 32 now, every week, with just a few interviews. Visuality is something you really have to learn. It comes naturally. But to use it as a performance driver, to use it skillfully, it has to be an art form as well. You have to really bring your whole being to it. It is an art form. It is a science. It is a skill. It is a method. It is a conversion protocol. It's all those things. And we need to become Mac master practitioners. 
We want to use the tools and principles that visuality provides to help us get to our goals, in this case our business goals, but we cannot take ourselves out of it. We can't just do business goals and think that the human isn't impacted, we ourselves. And we don't want to, in order to get our business goals, just jump back to the way things were, the things that didn't work in the past, the colonial model is the most famous of, uh, famous of these. Command and control. I know and you don't. I have and you don't. You will or else. This kind of thing. I had a father like that. Boy, what a number he was. Swiss and Italian and a stowaway and a handicapper. I think I told you he had a very dramatic childhood and he brought it right over to us. The guy, much as I loved him, was full of fear, my pop. And that is how he ruled, through the fear that he knew so well. And it only worked when his thumb was on our head, when we were short enough for his thumb to be on our heads. And then as soon as his kids, me and my brother, realized that we had power as well, we were out of there. The love remained, it really did. But we took ourselves out of the line of fire. The thumb was no longer on our head. We escaped. And people escape. You may not see them escape because they may stand right in front of you unmovingly. But inside of them, they went somewhere else. And so as with everything in workplace visuality, at least as I have studied it, implemented it, failed and succeeded, and codified it as I've researched it over these past three decades, the technical and the cultural are intimately entwined. We're learning that about ourselves, our mind and our heart interact with each other in a way that is seamless and because it's seamless we barely notice it but it's two pieces of us working together as one you can't have a fully functioning visual workplace without a spirited and engaged culture and you can't have cultural engagement cultural engagement without the physicality of the visual structure these structures are as important to the operations level the value add level as they are to management and CEO and the boardroom structure rules because the structure carries the message helps us do the right thing in the forms of details of these visual devices repeatedly even in a low volume in a low volume high complexity work setting in a bank a factory a hospital a government agency open pit mine dry cleaners restaurant doesn't matter parking lot construction industry that is why our discussion of the poor power levels is really a discussion about people development and therefore about making them more powerful. We can't help but discuss that. Or should I say it's about releasing the power that they already hold within them so that when we get good at this, we aren't making people more powerful. We're igniting a native gift, a God-given gift. I, I'm thinking of a poem, one of my favorite, one of my favorite poems. In fact, I, I have it in the, uh, one of the face uh, pages of uh, Work That Makes Sense. It's by Pablo Neruda, a great Hispanic poet. And I'm reading a translation by another favorite poet of mine, David White. He's from uh, Yorkshire, I think but uh, lives in the United States. It's called Poetry, La Poesia. And it's talking about this ignition of this thing that's within 
And in this case, Neruda is talking about who he was when he wrote his first poem and what that experience was like. And I tell you, this is the experience that I see in people when we get those two pieces to work together, the mind and the heart of the organization, the structure and that power within, and we give people the access to create structure that helps them become more powerful. You know, in my book, this is what visuality is about on a more esoteric level. This is how the poem goes. And something ignited in my soul, fever or unremembered wings, and I went my own way, deciphering that burning fire. And I wrote the first bare line, bare, without substance, pure foolishness, pure wisdom of one who knows nothing. And suddenly I saw the heavens unfastened and open. So there is Neruda. He's talking this as he talk, he's talking about this moment as ignition, this ignition of a substance that's already there. We are beginning to learn, and it took us a hundred years. That work is still about humans. It's still about what goes on inside of us in this interior environment. And so when I'm talking about the four power levels today, I'm waxing a little bit poetic because I see that it can open this as well, okay? That the four power levels is about knowing that we can help ourselves to do the right thing. We can learn about the four power levels, and as we do, we not only learn about mechanisms and things, we learn about a thinking process, and we learn that we can control even design behaviors through devices, beginning with our own behavior. What do I need to know? And then, after I get control of my corner of the world, what do I need to share? It's personal power. We learn about that power within by exerting it, by expressing it. And we all learn that the other person can do the same thing. Oh, my goodness. That means the power resides in them as well. The power that resides in me resides in them as well. Remember? This is my definition for culture. Then we're going to slide into a break. Culture is who I think I am and who I think the other is. And a culture is aligned when I know that I am you. Now, you work that out through many, many years in an organization. But that's a horizon that will create a tremendous transformation in the company and in ourselves. So we're going to slide into a break now. And we'll get into the particulars of visual controls and visual guarantees. Talk to you in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi there. This is Gwendolyn. We're talking about the uh, four power levels of visual devices we did two last week, and we're doing two more this week. We're doing visual controls and visual guarantees or pokeyoke devices about how to make our devices more powerful so that we can do the right thing repeatedly, first ourselves, and then as these devices populate the landscape of work, others will align. It's really quite amazing to me how little resistance there is in adopting and following visual devices, even if I didn't create it, and even it's if it's trying to change my behavior. We're so natural with this in our own communities, in the hardware store, Disneyland, at the banks, and the post office, crossing the street, driving along the roadways, that when it finally arrives in the workplace, when the workplace is finally becoming a partner with us to our production outcomes. We just say, oh, yeah, I know this. This is good. Yeah, I've done this before. Yeah, well, it's about time. Let's go. Okay. Oh, cool device. Oh, look what it made me do. Ha, ha, ha. And there, it made me do it again. Wow, how cool is that? (laughs) I think that we love what's cool. I think we really love it. We notice it. Wow, that's cool. (laughs) We live in such great times. We really do. There's a lot of madness out there, but I tell you, on some level, this is the best time ever and kind of on the level that I'm talking about. It's fun. I mean, we're having fun. They have let us out of the closet. I'm talking about all of us, even the ones who thought they were out. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you a little story, if we have time, but I'm going to save it for the end. If we don't have time, I'll save it for another day, about Venu Srinivasan in, uh, in Madras, India, and how he turned this thing around. I'm saving the story for my new book, but I'll, uh, I'll tell you about it. It's so cool. It's about power and making that transformation. Let's see if we have time. So... Remember that we talked about this new construct or this kind of uh, new notion, new because I'm presenting it to you in the fir- for the first time. You may have discovered it on your own. Great. These steps of power. And that the term power in visuality means that a specific device or group of devices, a mini system, can and does repeatedly trigger, get, an intended outcome, an intended behavior, an intended performance. And there are two ways in visuality to increase the effectiveness, the power of your visual devices. One is to invest more devices that do the same thing, build redundancy through a mini system. As we saw in the school bus, so many devices for a single outcome get our kids to school and back safely. Or you can make the individual device more powerful not more powerful, raise its power level. And that's what we're talking about today. 
Okay, so the four power levels there force us to go beyond our first response, our first idea of a visual device and say, you know, that's my first idea of a visual device, but does it get the intended outcome? Do I behave or others behave in accordance to what I hoped would happen as a result of this device? Put up a little sign that said, clean up after yourself, I ain't your mother. You know what? People didn't clean up after themselves. (laughs) I could put 17 of them up and they could all be in different colors with little funny faces to make them look less powerful and more friendly. They still won't work. And one of the reasons that particular device doesn't work is that it tells only it has no power, no real power. Visual indicator. Visual indicator has no real power parking sign, park here. Well, it's up to you. I park there if I want to. These visual indicators are everywhere. They're practically invisible. We respond to them when they need them or not. It's up to us. And yet, if you take visual indicators out of the environment, you will find that our economy will collapse because people bring their will to using visual indicators. They decide to, and in many cases, seamlessly. It's just pulled from them. I'm looking for 37th Street. There's the 37th Street sign. I'm not going to argue with the sign. I'm not going to think about it, find a different way. I'm not going to go around the the block in the opposite direction in order not to turn right on 37th Street. I just say, okay, let's go. This is convenient. Okay, thanks for the information. Very simple. But what has happened there is our will has aligned with the intent of the device. And we have aligned our will and we have used it. Okay. Same with visual signals, the next level of power. The thing about a visual signal, the only difference between a a signal and, and an indicator is that the signal is a device that shows change and therefore grabs our attention. And when our attention is grabbed, it then delivers the message, the stoplight, flashing, flashing, flashing. It stops flashing or the lights, the traffic lights stop changing, and we no longer respond. We no longer can respond because we don't because it lost its meaning. We hear the music. It's playing our favorite song, Chito Lindo, and we know that our customer has just sent in a complaint, if you remember from last week, that wonderful visual signal. The environment changes. A signal. Something is happening. What is it? Oh, let me listen. Oh, heck. We got a customer complaint from Delphi Deltronicos. Wonderful system. Every department had its own song when there was a problem. Everybody knew about it because that beautiful music has our name on it. (laughs) So that's the way visual signals and visual indicators work. They're on a low power level. And remember we talked about the and on lights and don't add um, insult to injury. If you have an and on light, tell us what it means. Apply a visual indicator to a visual signal the visual signal being the stacked lights and the visual indicator being the explanation, the legend of what they mean. Blue, red, orange, green, white means one thing. 
Yellow, green, red means another. Yellow and red means something else. Orange, green, and red. I'm actually reading stack, uh, stack lights now in this 360 that I described to you before. There were like 20 of them, all of them lit. What does it mean? So we're talking about meaning as we always do. So now we're now going to go up the food chain and we're going to go to a visual control. A visual control by definition exerts structure into the equation. It is a mechanism. A visual control is a mechanism that limits and directs our behavior through structure. In our railroad crossing scenario that we started last week with first just the X sign that said railroad crossing and then we added lights, it still didn't get the teenager to stop. Now we're going to put structure, we're going to put a gate, kapoom, that comes down, a railroad crossing gate. Visual controls have a great deal of power. The gate now prevents vehicles from crossing the tracks when the train is coming, a physical barrier that replaces the largely ineffective railroad crossing sign even with flashing lights. Because visual controls are structural, they directly impact the power of the individual will. Another way to say that is choice, except if a person is determined to ignore them. In other words, they have to exert more of their will in order to confront and deny the will of the device. Our young teenage friend is still in jeopardy because his will is his main organizer, not his consequence brain. Can you see him now racing against the train, zigzagging through the very gates that are designed to protect him? Hmm? Even if there was a cluster of railroad crossing buck signs, that's the technical name. It's called a railroad cross buck sign. Flashing lights, bells ringing, gates on either side. The teenager would still gun the engine and make a run for it. (laughs) But let's look at another example. Let's look, for example, with new eyes, with fresh eyes, at a parking lot. You see a bunch of white lines, not even going to call them borders right now, white lines on black asphalt. The casual observer will call this a parking lot, but they're wrong. Those lines, the angles of the lines, the number of lines, the space between the so-called lines represent a highly sophisticated visual control system. How do I know? Because 120 strangers can park 120 of their cars uniformly thanks to the control of those lines. Uniformly. This is managers, this is management's dream, uniformly. Even strangers know how to use this environment. No injuries, no dents, no even thinking twice. They know exactly what to do. How does this happen? It's because of the control component of those lines. This is why it's called control. We seamlessly obey. The adherence, the control is built into the physical landscape, into that parking lot, into that value field. We can go back to our discussion about patterns. We have put a strong pattern in place, and the humans obey. We obey. And that's one of the reasons I said this last week, that I would 
invite you to use your language around visual controls very carefully and to reserve that term for that which truly does control. And don't replace visual devices with the words visual control. Because a visual device is a kind of generic term. It's about an apparatus thing that either influences, limits, directs, or constrains our behavior, the whole gamut. But a visual control is about constraining behavior, directing behavior through structure. And how do I know that that visual, that that parking lot is a powerful visual control system? Because when it snows, the behavior goes away, the power goes away. It's removed, the structure is removed. All the visual information sharing disappears while it's under the snow. And with it goes adherence, compliance, uniform behavior. In such a circumstance, you will decide quite rightly not to park there. Okay. And we bring that into the workplace. We bring that into small parking lots for forklifts. So we'll have four tow motors and four spaces, pallet jacks. You know it at a glance. And if you also add visual indicators, you'll get a more powerful visual system. So you'll have four places beautifully marked off in yellow borders for your four pallet jacks. And then you'll add an address that says pallet jacks warehouse. And then you'll put an address on each of the four um, corral areas, the four little slots, pallet jack one, two, three, four, or Marianne's, Gary's, Odin's. Danny's pallet jack and then on the pallet jack itself you put an ID label one two three four or Marianne Gary Undine Danny ah we have automatic recoil but underneath it is the structure that we call a visual control a visual control system right so we're going to pick this up when uh, we get back. We're sliding into a break now. We're in the area of visual controls, talking about using structure to get behavioral change. This is Gwendolyn. I'll see you in a minute. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. 
If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome back. And we're talking about the higher levels of the four power levels. We're talking about visual controls. In a moment, we'll move into Pokioke or visual guarantees. This is um, a session where we're talking conceptually and where I'm drawing pictures of what these devices are. But mostly, I want you to get how we can make our devices more powerful. We do not need to blame the humans when a device fails. We 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 do not say, why don't you read the sign? Clean up after yourself. I'm not your mother. Why don't you read that sign? What do you think that sign is there for anyway? Why do you think I put it up there? Why don't you read the sign? Why don't you do it? What's wrong with you? You're such a slob. You understand? It goes nowhere. <laughs> it goes nowhere. Except to make for hard feelings and for that person to organize their will against me instead of for me and for the company, for the corporate intent. So that's why there's such a reversal, an inversion, or let's say an evaporation of the old command and control model, the fear model, the punishment, the blame model. So you see your visual device is ineffective. And if you're a coach to visuality, you've trained it, or you're, you're a coach who's been trained, who really gets this stuff and loves it, you say, hey, Marianne, I see you singing the blues there. What happened? Oh, my device failed. Nobody's paying any attention to it. No, no, no. It's a great device. It just needs a little bit more power. What do you mean? Well, remember we talked about the power? Oh, yeah. How can we make it more powerful? How can we get maybe more structure into it? What do you think? Let's work on that. Don't give up on this device. It's a great idea. You just need to make it more powerful. And you know what? You're the person to do it. Because you want to see the behavior change. <laughs> Marianne made me very motivated. We all have stories like that. So, we're using control. Now, I want to branch out into min-max levels, for example. And I want you to see that as a visual control, as a visual control device. That little line that says, reorder, a kind of mini Kanban, or consume up to 18 boxes a little line going across but the power of that line is that it is a barrier it's a constraint it is structure how cool is that a little line little two-dimensional geometric uh, element mm-hmm. I'm going to give you some more images for example I remember seeing a green border around a, um, a rack a rack for subcomponent parts at a GM plant. And the border had a space in the front of it. And that space in the front of it was the doorway through which people would pull the racks. I sat there for an hour and watched nobody violated the side green. They always pulled through the space that was open in the front of this bordered location. They were using it as a control device. It's very interesting. And you know, an entire science of operations has been developed around the capacity of lines that surround to direct and control pull 
material replenishment as shown in Kanban squares. You know, you can't say that's just a bunch of lines. It's much more than that. It is the power of limits. The power of limits to govern, to regulate behavior. So Kanban, the thing about Kanban that's so amazing is that when you start using lines to control this structure of the visual control, you know what else you're doing? You're building in time. You are building in time. When you have a space for four uh, coils of copper, four squares, a grid like that, that are that's used to support one machine, and I'm thinking of a particular plant, there are four there, not because we want to waste material, but because with the pacing of the machine, we want to make sure it is continually supplied. And that's, so that's one component of time. And the backstory is also, there's only one forklift driver in this plant, and he doesn't have enough time to service all the areas fast enough for him to get back in time to this machine if there were only two coils. So there are four we build in time. This is where we get double border function. You know, I'm, I'll talk to you one of these days about very wonderfully highly functioning borders and how you can build in time into your borders. But Kanban is one such example. I want to describe one other power of limits of device. And this had to do in the, Deltron, in, in the Delphi Ramir plant, which was across the street from Deltronico's in Matamoros, when owned by Delphi. And in this 1,500-person plant, they had, at the top of the stream, they were making um, airbags with ignition systems, of course. At the top of the stream was the, card, was the material for the airbags, great big roll of material, and it was cut into chunks. And on every machine was a stacked bar wide, about a foot wide, and about three feet high. And the bar had red yellow and green stacked on it, bands of color. So you could see at a glance, and the operator and the forklift driver, because it was two-sided, could see at a glance the consumption of material related to the circling of material replenishment. When we were doing okay, we had enough material. When we were running low, and when we were almost out. All there in this lovely band. 1,500 people, what was interesting about this, so imagine red on the bottom, then a yellow band, and then a green band, just a stack, a, uh, like a uh, board. This was the only material replenishment trigger for the whole plant. What I mean by that is every single area, after the, when the material was being cut here at the top of the stream, and as it went downstream, was governed by the same trigger bands of red, yellow, and green on the little small part bins everywhere. All of the component parts were stored in transparent bins and you could see the bars of colors that were the trigger. You see that's the time and that's the control. We're controlling time. We're triggering. That's what trigger means. Even on the bobbins, even on the thread, on the machine itself where they were sewing. You would see these little bands. They were like little flags everywhere. There's much more to say about the implementation of this system. But you, can you imagine the sophistication 
in this plant that was able to rely on a single mechanism for material handling throughout the entire plant, 1,500 people. And, of course, the plant was bingo on time. This is what was one of Mantenberg's plants, and it was humming. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And imagine the amount of stick steady on the course that it took for that plant and the management to hold on to that system until it became, it replaced all other replenishment systems. All other. When you went into receiving, it was the same thing. There were no papers running around, no waters, not even a water spider was there. Tremendously sophisticated, elegant plant that is hard won and so worth it. Visual controls. These are applications of visual controls. Powerful. So powerful that we could organize our business model around it. This is visuality that becomes a strategic partner to your financial model. I want you to think about this. We're going to do a show, it'll probably take us two, called The Five Reasons for Visuality. We have that as an on-demand webinar. We're going to do that, and I'll I'll beat on this point a bit more. We're sliding into a break. When we come back, we'll do visual guarantees, pokeyoke devices. I'll see you in a minute. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Here we are. We're in the final segment of the four power levels. We're doing a skim, giving you the general idea. What I'm hoping to do is to convince you that you can change the power of the device instead of trying to get people to obey the device. You can change the power 
and people will adhere to it. So we're moving up the power steps of visual indicator, which tells only and has no power, to visual signal, which changes and by changing grabs our attention. There's a sound, it draws our attention. There's a light, it draws our attention, and then it delivers the message. There's a visual control, which introduces structure to govern our behavior, to constrain it, to build time in as an element of operations, of production, of function. And now we're at the top of the heap. We're on visual controls, absolute power. Absolute power, and it is conceived as such. It allows the correct response only. In our, in our little uh, teenager and train scenario, this is where we have much too expensive uh, next step, which is not at all in keeping with the Pokeoke paradigm or the visual paradigm, and that is we build a bridge for the train and the car goes underneath, or we take the train and we put it underground like the subways in New York, and the cars and the train can never meet. They can never collide. We eliminate the possibility of that negative outcome. And I want to say of that particular negative outcome. So the progression kind of disappoints at that stage because, you know what, let's just get the kid to behave. We can't afford a bridge or an underground system of trains. But get the concept. A visual guarantee is a mechanism that builds information so deeply into the process of work that it becomes the work itself. When that happens, it becomes impossible to do the wrong thing. We are able to do only the right thing. Pokeyoke or mistake-proofing, fail-safing are other names for this kind of a device. I'm going to uh, uh, paint pictures of a couple of examples. One is in the community. So we're on a boat, and my friend Anna Hugh, who's a longtime licensee and affiliate of ours, an absolutely superb visual trainer, implementer, and coach, she is amazing. We met each other 25 years ago at United Electric, and she got the visual bug, and we've, uh, she's just uh, gone as far as, as she just loves this stuff and does such a great job. Okay, so she gave me a picture. It's a picture that she took on a boat. She was going to Martha's Vineyard or whatever. She lives in Boston. And it showed a series of stairs. And the stairs were a little bit odd because they were like paddles. Part of the stair was thin. You couldn't possibly get your foot on it. And the other part was fat, like a paddle, almost like a fat L or looked like a chair with the back of the chair inserted into the back, meaning the long line of this piece of wood into the wall. And not only that, but these stairs, so they were like paddles. They alternated. So to begin with, the fat part of the stair was on the right. The next stair, the fat part was on the left. The next stair, the fat part was on the right. The next stair, the fat part was on the left, all the way up. After you got to a certain height, there were two bars, obviously, pull yourself up on because these were vertical, completely vertical. There was no bend in the stairs at all. And I looked at that and I realized that this was one of the best, if not the best, visual guarantee pokey oak device that I'd ever seen in a community setting. Because the device forces you to do the most minute behavior on the attribute level and you have no choice. One of the things you have to do is to start with your right foot. I mean, you can decide to start with your left foot, meaning take the first step with your left foot, 
but you won't be able to get your right foot in place crossing over. I hope you get an image of this. You know, you send me an email, I'll send you this picture. Hi, this is a way to get an email. <laughs> More emails. You send me an email, I'll send you the picture. So you get what I'm saying. It's really cool. The other thing that it prevents you from doing is skipping a step. You can't go from one right-handed paddle to another, to the next left-handed paddle by skipping steps because you don't have the wingspan. Not even Julia Roberts, not even Michael Jordan has the leg span to skip a step. It's a visual guarantee. It requires us do the right thing while preventing us from doing the wrong thing requires us to start on what is commonly the strong but right and not skip a step so we're safe and do you know where this thing came from this is what's so amazing took me a while I think somebody in one of my groups told me because I know I didn't dream it I'm going to give you a hint. Imagine yourself a sailor on a ship, sweetly asleep in your hammock, surrounded by 50 other sailors, cozy in their hammocks, and suddenly you hear, you know what that is. That's, get topside. We're under attack. Yes, you're on a battleship in the middle of World War II, and you're under attack. You leap up along with 50 other sailors, and you make a mad rush for for what? For the top. For your guns. And there, you're faced with the ladder where nanoseconds count. And you are going to begin with your right foot and the next person will begin with their right foot and you will march up that ladder lockstep and you will save microseconds and you will save your life and many others. Designed from under tremendous pressure, under tremendous performance pressure. So Shigeo Shingo is the architect, almost single-handedly, of bringing visual guarantees to the world work. He, along with Taichi Ono, was the co-architect of the Toyota production system. He asked me in the 1980s, I had the honor of working with him in the 1980s, he said, Gwendolyn, I'm sure he never knew my name, I'm sure he said, you, would you take my book, Zero Quality Controls? You know, he was speaking Japanese, and the interpreter was very polite. And would you create a Pokeoke training system, an implementation curriculum that the West will use, will understand and use? And what I realized when I read this book, Zero Quality Controls, is that there wasn't a methodology in it. There were some concepts and a paradigm, very, very powerful. And Shingo's premise is, you don't need quality control if you have Pokeyoke for planning and CPK only for your capabilities only and then you just Pokeyoke the heck out of your your visual devices, your devices until you get the right behavior. Pokeyoke exists on the attribute level. We become masters of cause on the attribute level. And as I went through this and, and, and found a kind of what we call a typology or a kind of framework of thinking, I realized that there were three levels of visual guarantees of pokeokes. The first, which is the lowest, is you detect the defect, and some of the stories about quality, but it's also about behavior. You detect the defect after it's made and you contain it. The second level, one up, is you detect the error causing the defect while you're making that error. 
That's a whole other category. And the third level is you eliminate the possibility of error, which we just saw in that staircase. So I am getting a signal from my kind uh, studio technician that my time is up. I'll have to save that story about Venu Srinivasan for the next time. And I hope this has inspired you to think about the four power levels. There are so many great applications I will not move into a third show. I will not move into a third show. I will not move into a third show for the four power levels unless I really think that you need to have two or three more examples of pokey oak devices. If we do, we'll have a discussion about attributes in general. I had a great time talking with you today. I want to thank you very, very much for listening. I hope this information and these shows are useful to you. I so appreciate your emails. I so appreciate just knowing that you're out there listening to this uh, great gift that I've been given that I have the honor and the pleasure of giving to you uh, and passing it along. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. I'll see you the next time. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.